0: If you had a data span on anything or nothing, what would you do? And I heard some really good answers, most of which involved like, oh, that will never happen. So I can to bend the rules of reality if that does happen, and have limitless money, stomach space, capacity. Um, Because of course, we couldn't just do that. It it doesn't feel natural to us. I also think it it was meant a little bit as a trick question. Or maybe just a bad question to start with, but one I think I all too commonly fall prey to, that time is something that can be spent, or wasted, or saved, that time is money. I think Ben Franklin said that. If the story of Genesis, of the beginning of all that's seen and unseen, reminds us anything, it's that time is a gift to be received, rather than a resource, rather than a commodity to be exploited. We live in an age of time-saving technologies. Never before have we been promised so much savings, right? We have apps and microwaves and Ubers and emails and everything is instant and everything is going to save us so much time, but how much time have you saved lately? How much time have you truly gained? Like I I think of like, it said like a goldfish will grow to the size of its aquarium, I don't know what the extent of this is, but I imagine that like goldfish you win at the state fair in a little bag of water. You put it in the bathtub and it grows to be a two-foot koi. Or if you put it in like a live pool, apologies, uh, it would be like a dolphin size. (laughs) I think the same goes with how we feel about our time. We use these money and resource words because we feel like no matter how much time we have we're going to use it all and we use those words like save and spend and waste to give us an illusion that we can control it, that we can bank it, that we can somehow pause real life or, or rewind it or fast forward it sometimes or or slow mo would be really awesome sometimes too. Surely God, who is in control, surely He just He acts just like us, but He's just better at it, right? Like God is just us times infinity. The fact of the matter is that time shows us how different God is, how like fundamentally different God is from us in how different we are from God, how human we are. It shows us our limits. It shows us our creatureliness, our vulnerability, our lack, our need. Of all the things we can master and control, time is not one of them. The story of the beginning of the heavens and earth, Genesis shows us God creating time. He gave us a sun and a moon to mark it, tides and seasons, days and nights, each day different from the other. God's such a go-getter. like He's so efficient. He's accomplishing so much. He's creating and doing and achieving with seemingly endless supply of stamina and power. Whatever God touches, he's got the Midas touch. Whatever he touches, it turns from, from void to form. Darkness to light, land and sky, waters and earth, plants, stars, life, aquatic, all teeming with diversity and abundance and purpose. Animals, even the gross ones, big and small, teeming with diversity and abundance and purpose. And then humanity, made in God's image, the divine. Male and female, God created them, teeming with diversity, in abundance, in purpose. So God's creation poem, this triune dance, builds, and it builds with more and more and more love and grace and complexity, and at the close of each day, God confirms it is good. Sometimes even it is very good. I like to imagine each of those creative days being like the end of an act on stage and the curtain comes down and the audience applauds and anticipates the next movement. Surely God, who never tires, will keep going. He's gonna keep churning out the hits on the seventh and eighth and ninth days. You gotta stick with a hot hand, right? You let it ride. He creates a MacBook Pro on the 18th day. Palm Fritz on the 32nd. (laughs) He makes the latest, greatest Star Wars sequel on the 151st day ad infinitum. Very, very, very good indeed. But in a dramatic twist, the God who gives rest but doesn't need it, God who's never short handed or short of breath, ceases. God stops. God rests. On the seventh day, God rested from all the work he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, set apart. Because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. We have a, a lot of resources um, that we use for sermon series, and they're all listed. If, if you ever get done on Sunday and you're like, yeah, I'd love to read more about that, there. are if you go to the podcast, is listed. But one thing um, that I would really point you to, if you're looking to read more, is, is uh, this really short, kind of punchy book by Walter Bruggemann called Sabbath as Resistance, saying no to the culture now. And in that book, he narrates this for us. That's what he says. He says, God rested. God enjoyed a work stoppage. Then he goes on to say, It is good that order defeated chaos. It is good that the world is ordered for fruitfulness. It is very good that creation bears the life-giving power of the Creator. It is very good indeed. And then reported at the culmination of this liturgical recital, God rested. God rested on the seventh day. God did not show up to do more. God absented God's self from the office. He didn't come in and check on creation in anxiety to be sure it was all working. God has complete confidence in the fruit-bearing, blessing-generating processes of creation. God exhibits no anxiety about the life-giving capacity of creation. Again, we see how different God is from us. This is the origin of the Sabbath. With God's self. And like any good leader, God doesn't ask us to do anything he's unwilling or unable to do first. God's a way better leader than I am on this. I'm no good at the Sabbath. Without anxiety and fear, God ceases. You know, for me, this was... uh, The the marker of of this anxiety and fear is not just like what it might be. It's not like Bumblebee, like doing, 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 can't stop. It's more like procrastinating and pushing things off to the deadline. You know, like, I. My college roommates would always know when I had an assignment due because I would start like cleaning the dishes and cleaning, like even cleaning up the desktop of my computer, you know, like I need need to back stuff up. I got to back stuff up. (laughs) Um, And all my papers would like be right up to the deadline and I couldn't like enforce an artificial deadline. I think this has become even harder, like with a laptop that you can take with you because it used to be just didn't have access. You had to get it done when you left. But I mean, like, I just finished writing this sermon five minutes ago. Um, but not, not really this time. Generally, yes. Most of my my grad school papers had like a free proofreading scan, and then you like send it on, like. And I don't think most of them had written and redone. It is very good. <laughs> so I'm learning. With you all on this, and this, uh, this, the kind of anxiety that rises up in us when we start to think about stopping or resting or, or not just doing, doing, doing. I think that gives us a clue um, that there's something important about the concreteness of stopping, it's even stopping for a full day. And not like I'm more prone to trying to to live some sort of like mellow constant life where I don't need to do any like hard stops um, but that just seems like like what we all kind of want we, we just all want to be able to exist with this ease but the Sabbath the, the Sabbath command and what God shows us in the Sabbath of Genesis is kind of this hard stop this hard reset and it, and, and that feels just like it's it's But I don't think it's cruel. I think it's hardwired into what it means to be part of creation. I think it's part of what it means to be made in the image of the creator. And it's part of what it means to be human, to be limited. And I think as much as we hate to say it, limits are our friends. Any musician or artist knows this. To be truly creative, you have to operate within limits. Whether that's a canvas or a medium, um, your deadline, whether it's the limit of your place. We're learning a lot about that here, being in this particular place. The limit of your audience or your language or the conventions that that you're working within. As one theologian once said, a being is free only when it can determine and limit its activity. Freedom comes from limits. So God and God's utter freedom stops and invites us into that work stoppage. God invites us to grow into his creative likeness, to share in his loving abundance by proclaiming enough, and then sitting back and resting in that enoughness. That we didn't make this world and we don't need to hold it up, that we don't need To do anything but be embraced by God. To rest in His loving kindness. That we somehow, in keeping the Sabbath holy, can be okay with a little more void and chaos in our lives. Because we remember that's the very place that God creates and recreates the world. Creates and recreates us. I don't take it for granted how difficult this is. We so often think that our problem is that we, we can't do enough. We don't have enough hours or money or resources. And then we go to try to cease to observe the Sabbath rest. It seems like we've only made matters worse. We've handicapped ourselves. We've gone down from six days to do our, or gone down from seven days to finish our to-do list and now we only have six. Because if it was impossible, now it's even more impossible. Friends, I invite you to learn with me how to do this, because I don't know how to do this well. I invite you to learn together to let go a little bit. How to say no, even sometimes to good things, so that we can prepare for this rest, that we that we can truly rest and not just pause. So I'm kind of preaching out of an experiment here that, that I've recently started in this new year. Is keeping a Saturday Sabbath. And part of the reason I do that is because I know some of you guys are students and there's things that are due tomorrow. And so like I have to be at church and that's due the next day. So we're going to see if it's doable. We're going to see if it works. And you're not going to grade me. But so yesterday I took this first experimental Sabbath day and I, and I uh, you know um, hung out with the kids for breakfast slowly without having to go anywhere. I didn't I didn't open my computer all day. Um, I went on this long run which is not um, really something I enjoy doing, but it seemed like something helpful and and like. Initially, I, I intended to like run in silence so I could really commune with God and hear His voice. But I hate running; I'm you know, so bad at it that I needed to. So I, I afforded myself that rest, and I put on—I <laughs> I just put on like random. And, and this is uh, one of those moments where you—I you, trust that God was working, even though I know exactly how it happened. So it was a, God working in very natural, understandable process. But a, a, a couple of days ago, when we were narrowing down the songs for this Sunday, one of the songs that um, Justin had had asked about was was the, the great hymn "Abide with Me." So oh, I love that song so much. I don't know if that we can sing that song together though. And and as it would have it on this run, this four-mile run, uh, my random playlist just happened to be all of my songs listed in alphabetical order. So I got eight. Versions of the Bible with me. And it wasn't until about the 7th or 8th of them that I realized what well, was happening. I was just like, man, I really need this. This is really rough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going really slow. Um, to abide with God. Then I took a bath and we had a family outing. We cooked together. And it was great. Um, I would say the dangers... Um, in trying to institute something like this is to try to over achieve even in our rest, try to over program, try to do all those things that make me restful until I'm tired. Um, that didn't happen yesterday, and, and, and I will say right before bed, I turned to and I said, man, that was a really long day, and that was a good day. That, that's like one of the first times I've said that's with three small children. That was a long day, and it was a good thing. But Sabbath is, is kind of hard work, a little bit. Like It's hard work to prepare to rest. I mean, it's the same thing as why most Americans don't use all of their vacation hours. Because the getting ready to vacation and then catching up from vacation is just not really that worth it. If you're in school, it, it seems like... Like cramming in all this work just so you can take a rest day is not a very restful activity. But I invite you to do this and, and I know that it takes work and, and I know that it, it takes failing and learning and doing again to do it and so um, we have some kind of helps um, and these are out in the foyer. Uh, this is a writing your Sabbath plan and there's a couple different ones. There's one that says students on it and, and I think these are great tools. Again, this is not meant to be something more. This is meant to be a tool to help and em- enable you, and it, it asks good questions like the student question. And this is just like the dagger is like, how will I prepare for, like, honor the Sabbath if I have a paper or exam the following morning? Um, plan ahead. And so when it happens, you're you know it's coming. There's also on, on the other side of both sheets uh, something called Sabbath starters, and these are good creative ideas um, to, to spend your time. Things like Number one, encourage your family to take guiltless naps. That's fantastic. Or write a letter of appreciation. I really like bake bake some bread. Um, plan some time with nature. Plan some time with your family. Uh, as we get into this, I, I want to I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you those things that you must take up and those things that you must cease in order to experience His rest in order to, to worship Him and keep that Sabbath holy and set apart. That you might obey His command to keep Sabbath holy and then grow into His image as one who rests. We stop our doings so that we might experience, as Eugene Peterson says, Sabbath as an uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. If we stop doing what we're doing so we can see what God is doing. How God is already there, how God is already working. Perhaps you're still sitting there and this is still disturbing to you. It's too daunting. It feels like more punishment than freedom. Or maybe it feels like lazy or uninspired or wasteful. That would never work. Rest is for the weak. That's precisely the criticism that Pharaoh heaped on Moses and Aaron as they requested rest and worship for God's people. And this is really revelatory for us. Not that we live in ancient Egypt, but we, we do bow to these same gods. In Exodus 5, it says... Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, Israel's God, says. Let my people go so that they can hold a festival for me in the desert. But Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord whom I'm supposed to obey by letting Israel go? I don't know this Lord and certainly won't let Israel go. Then later on, The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you making the people slack off from their work? Do the hard work yourselves, Pharaoh uh, continued. The land's people are now numerous, yet you want them to stop their hard work? These are the tapes that run in our heads. Like There's so much to do, so much good stuff to do, and you want to stop? The situation then escalates, and Pharaoh not only denies their request for worship and rest, but increases the expectation to do that too. Pharaoh replied, and this is, this is a pretty contemporary translation. Pharaoh replied, you are lazy bums, nothing but lazy bums. That's what you say, let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Go and get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you will need to make the same number of bricks. We see in this story what we see in ourselves that our habits and our hearts resonate too easily with Pharaoh's logic. We're well acclimated with our own little cultures of urgency and fear, consumerism of anxiety of busyness and lack. The perpetual sense that I didn't do enough, that there won't be enough, That someone wants more out of me and I can't give them that. Into this place of frenzy, God reminds us who He is and how He is. That He created us out of love and grace and abundance, not out of fear and coercion and lack. That He rested that he resisted even the rightful king of the universe. And that's, that's how Jews start their Sabbath uh, observance with Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Malek HaOlam, blessed Lord God, King of the universe. That he calls us to cease all the ways that we're being discipled into the sinful ways of the world. We cease, we stop, cold turkey especially the subtle sin of distrust, the subtle sin of worry, we put those aside in order to worship the one true God who lives and reigns, to worship Him and Him alone. We stop so that we can be made in His image. We stop so that we can be renewed in His love and His security. We stop so that we can be refreshed as we join him in his mission to renew and rescue creation. If we learn anything from the Exodus story, it's that rest and worship have to be paired. That they don't come alone and they don't come easy. Rest and worship don't happen by default or by accident. The powers and principalities of this world don't like to give them up without a fight. They come with intent, they come with planning, they come in community and with accountability. And in Sabbath they happen concretely. You can actually put it on your calendar. We're so sort of scared most of the time, I, I spoke about this a little earlier, but that by doing some things like this, these concrete practices, we might fall into some sort of um, legalism. So we spiritualize it and we just say, Ah, oh, I just will be more restful. And, and yet, because we, we don't want to fall prey to the sort of legalism that Jesus encounters when his contemporaries leave someone suffering on the Sabbath. But sometimes we need that hard reset, we need those rules, and we need those boundaries in order to make space. Because here's what I think. I think that the Sabbath can be a profound practice of hospitality. And here's what I mean by that. Hospitality is making room, like setting aside space, creating space, room for grace. That we make room for God first and foremost, but we also make room for our neighbors. We make room for our family. We make room for surprise and rest and leisure and even play. We're a pretty young church, but I venture to say that there's plenty of us who can't remember the last time that you've just been completely silly for no reason. Like, just ridiculous. Like In my house, we have snowball fights in the basement, and they're like foam snowballs, so it's not as messy as it sounds. Like, so ridiculous when you wake up the next, the next day and you you got to put on your shirt and you realize that your rotator cuff is a little sore from pegging your three-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> or I bet we can't remember when we've just danced with complete abandon. And th- this actually is a good thing. There's a- actionable items here. We have the Kings and Queens dance. Um, you can do that you can watch, but you can also do. Or the last time you cooked a, a painstakingly slow and involved meal. And one of those meals that just, it costs five times as much as it would cost you to buy in a restaurant and it takes five times as long, but just the act of making it and the act of sharing that is just so beautiful. Or that you've like picked up and retuned that guitar that and muddled through chords even though it hurts your fingers because it's so long since you played it last, your calluses have gone soft. The Sabbath creates room for that. Room to do those things worshipfully. Room and space for God to remake you into His child. And I think that being remade into God's children involves us maybe even being clumsy. <laughs> or silly or dependent or not good at things, like it's one thing, when you grow up you just stop doing things that you're not good at. You know, who has time for that? But if you're as you're remade into God's child, you you have time for these, you have space for these, and you're dependent on Him to grow you. Maybe it's only in that kind of ceasing that we can return. And we return regularly, rhythmically to God. That we can retune our ears to hear His voice. We can allow Him to open our lips that our mouths may declare His praise. We keep the Sabbath holy by returning our worship to the one who deserves it. To our Creator, our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior. We're made to worship God and to rest in His love. As Augustine famous, famously wrote in his confessions, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. I want to invite, um, I met with Nate uh, this week, and I want to invite Nate to come up and share uh, a recent experience of ceasing an arrest. That he He'll tell you a little bit about it uh, before our prime confession and Lord's Supper.
1: Hey, Max, hold on. I'm usually talking to the microphone. But, uh, how do I stand up here? Um, for the new year this year, I went with six friends to a Trappist monastery in South Carolina, which is a Catholic brand of, uh, monkhood. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, there's like a dozen guys down there who live quiet and simple lives and devote themselves to work and prayer. And those are like their kind of two touchstones, work and prayer. So they pray the daily office, which is like a rhythm of prayer. They wake up at three in the morning and they go to bed at, it's probably between eight and nine. And during that time, they gather together in the church seven times. For prayer, and they have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Most people are trying to do. My may grow mushrooms to sell Whole Foods and such. Um, so I went down there with six friends, and we kind of—they had a retreat center. Um, it was four days, and we joined them in their rhythm of prayer. And I never would have got up three if I didn't have at least one of the friends that was getting three. But we, we, most of us try to join in each each time. Um, but it was it was a really great time. I could probably talk about it for a long time. Um, but I'm trying not to, for y'all's sake. In terms of rest, it was I, about a month ahead of time. I was like, ooh, four days. A lot. Of one, another big part of their life is silence they limit their speech, um, meals are taken in silence, work is done in silence unless there's some necessary communication needs to happen. I think in the old, older, maybe slightly more strict times, there were signals to speak with each other about working and doing things in the kitchen or whatever. It's something not quite as strict these days, I don't think. But, um, Silence was a big thing. And I was like, four days of silence? I don't think I can do that. This this makes me nervous. About a week ahead of time, I was starting to get excited about it, thinking I have some things I want to think about and write about and (coughs) reflect on. I'm probably going to want to stay longer than four days. Uh, My experience of those four days, I didn't think right or reflect on any of, some of them, by by happenstance, but the things that I went in uh, planning on thinking about, I didn't, because the space was created, as Chris was talking about, there was like this created space with these limits and structures, which opened up time a little bit for me to receive other things. so just to Chris today, four a.m. to six a.m. is like really fertile time uh, that I never experienced. <laughs> and not again. <laughs> but uh, sunrise—I mean, I saw one of the most beautiful like sunrises I've ever seen over this river, uh, and there's old trees that are like six and a half feet wide moss hanging around, there's gardens and they have been there for a long time. And the sun is coming up. I think it was like hunting season or something. So there's like all this gun fire. <laughs> but there's a scene in like the Patriot where that's happening. And there's also a scene in uh, Saving Private Ryan where they're like walking across the hill and all this stuff. But it
0: was like we we're in the Revolutionary War. It's so weird.
1: But uh Within that, like liturgy, psalms are tying in. Uh, the, like all creation praises God. We were reading the psalm at six in the morning, and then like six thirty, we're watching this incredible sunset. And these fish are jumping out of the water. It was amazing. Um, but to be to be in that space, that was a gift. I didn't spend a lot of time trying to create this space. It was kind of already there for me. I had my own room that was very well designed. Uh, the silence, like, welcomed, it was like a very welcoming. Um, it was not, not anxiety-laden, and so I was able to, like, enter into this um, um, and kind of receive. There was a lot of books, there was coffee and tea available. Um, and it was awesome I would I do feel they, they seemed like sometimes really serious um, and it was just amazing they were amazing men who were devoting themselves to prayer and work uh, but also there are just little things that were reminders that, like these are normal dudes and there's a place for laughter and play they had they had like um, a nativity festival where like people send in these nativity scenes from all over the world and so they had like all over the place. On a lunch table there was like little figurines and like I said meals were taken in silence and if you know you're not supposed to be like making noise it's and you have to laugh like it's just so much harder to stop and one of these little figurines had like this, his shirt was like not, his belly was like <laughs> round enough that his shirt was not covered in cover his whole belly, so it was just this little odd nativity mm-hmm. scene. see. And one of my buddies put it in front of my table, in front of my seat. When I had gotten up, I sat down and I looked at it and I thought, well, that's funny. And then I took it and put it on top of this orange that he had. So when he sat down, he didn't see it. And I looked at it and pointed at it. And he just died laughing. And I couldn't stop. Because we are sitting and it was just... It was just there's a place for laughter and play in all of this, like Chris was saying. Um, yes, let me refer to my notes, just so I don't say, not say anything, I don't say, There's no. um. so definitely a time of like less Oftentimes I'll I'll be like doing things at home and I'll just put music on just to have something going and then this space, that was not really an option and it was just, I was trying to think about ways to like carry this over into life, uh, admittedly not particularly in like a hard stoppage kind of way but I think I have the same um, voice saying, oh, I'll just, I'll enter into rest in all my daily life activity. Um, but I think one way to actually maybe try to do that is to embrace silence in some meaningful way. And somehow it, is, it, it was a communal, it was like a very communal experience that I would entered into with friends and with these monks. And there's something about it when it's communal that changes the nature of it. Um. Even, there was, there was one friend that I had, and we were usually together reading from 4 to 6 in the morning. And that space would not have been the same if he was not there um, with me. We shared something deep, even though we weren't speaking to each other. Um, so I think even, even in like the like scaling back the restriction or like limit, um, there's, there is a space created to receive. Um, yeah. There was a psalm that became important to us while we were there, and it's Psalm 131, I think. It says, My heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wean child with its mother. Like a wean child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord with now and forevermore. And I think this retreat uh, kind of gave me a glimpse at how I can enter into calming and quieting myself. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You,
0: if you guys have stories about how this stuff, um, how God is using this stuff in your know, teaching you. here, yeah. and in speaking to you through his word and, and through your experience, and please let us know you won't automatically have to get up here and share, but you might. Um, but yeah, pray with me for me. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for silence in which you speak into uh, our hearts and our lives. Uh, Lord, give us courage uh, to uh, set time aside uh, and, and find you there waiting for us, waiting uh, to nurture and soothe and restore us uh, as your children. I thank you for Nate's experience and the ways that you um, used Mepton to, to restore him uh, with his friends. Um, I thank you for that experience, Nate, so that you not soon uh, forget um, uh, what it felt like uh, to just be there your presence. Thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.